So good to see you guys and be here to worship together. Uh, my name is Monty Waldron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and so uh, I get to welcome you. And uh, I don't know what your week was like. Maybe it was great. Maybe it was hard. I don't know what's ahead of you in the week to come, but right now we're here together. And uh, man, it's good. God is good, and this is good. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're, uh, we're thankful to have you with us today, and we want to serve you as you are trying to find a community of faith where you can really plug in, get connected, and uh, grow in your faith. And so uh, here's a couple of things you can do. There's a starting point desk out in the lobby, so maybe on your way out, drop by there. There's some terrific folks there that can answer some of your questions. They have a gift for you today and uh, kind of help you get started with uh, connecting at Fellowship. Also, we have a group that uh, our other teaching pastor, Jeff, and I lead uh, alternating throughout the year called a connecting group. It is an awesome small group experience where you get to kind of sit in a living room with complete strangers and talk about church. It's really cool. So we want to invite you to that. We want you to get to know us. We want to get to know you, and we want to help you... Um, get an idea about whether or not this is the place where God would have you uh, connect, all right? I want to pray for us as we jump into a new series in the book of Jonah, so uh, pray with me if you would. Father God, we pause. This feels like taking a deep breath, quieting our hearts opening our ears and inviting you to speak. We just sang that you are good and we believe that. There is so much about life that challenges that idea, that stretches us to walk in that belief, but, but we declare it today. And we ask you to not only be present here this morning, but to be active, to work, to convict, to encourage, to challenge, to instruct. Lord, we ask you to do whatever needs to be done in any of our lives so that we might be more conformed to the beautiful image of your Son and better able to do what you've called each of us to do and us to do as a, as a family Lord, do that work this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, so the book of Jonah, the little bitty book um, to the right of Psalms. So if you're looking in your Bible there, kind of head to the right. Uh, if you run into Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Hosea, Obadiah, and then you're going to hit Jonah. And if you turn too many pages, you'll go right past it. One of the most familiar books in our Bible, right? Everybody's heard of the big fish, right? And as we get into this study, I, I thought, you know, familiarity doesn't equal understanding. So I, I want to just start with a caution, that, uh, that we approach this book, we slow way down and we come at this book very teachable 
no assumptions, um, full of expectation. I, here's what I thought of. Um, all of you have heard of a heart transplant, right? Yeah, and so, you know, there's one explanation for a heart transplant, and that is that a person has a bad heart, so uh, the doctor goes in, takes out the bad one, puts in a new one, sews them up, and they're ready to go. Now, that is generally true, right? That is an accurate description of a heart transplant. But it doesn't even begin to approach the complexity of that procedure. So here's another explanation. There's preparation. There's matching to make sure the heart matches. There's sedation. There's diverted blood flow. There's extraction, there's installation, there's reattachment. You got to ignite the heart, get it ticking again. There's closure, observation, rehabilitation. You see what I'm talking about? If you talk to a heart surgeon, it isn't just pulling out a bad heart and putting in a new one. There's a whole lot going on there. And as we come to the book of Jonah, we could approach it as, yeah, there was this prophet and he was told to go to this big city and he, he ran from God, got swallowed by a fish, puked out on the beach and then went back to Nineveh, declared the message of the Lord and everybody, it was a revival and the prophet was mad. <laughs> and that's an accurate description of the book of Jonah. But doesn't that fall far short of what's in this little book? God sends one of his prophets to an evil Gentile city with a message of warning, and the prophet refuses. His refusal sets in motion a series of events that dramatically identify him with Israel, with the church, even with Jesus. The prophet's eventual begrudging obedience leads to Gentile repentance and exposes his own disordered heart. The readers are left to consider the orientation of their hearts as they relate to the redemptive heart and activity of their creator. I think that's a better explanation and still doesn't approach the substance of this little book. So can we all just sort of agree, we're gonna come in here every Sunday and we're just gonna push all of our assumptions and all that stuff that we think we know about the book of Jonah, just push it aside. I've preached through this book before and I wanna tell you this last week was awesome in preparation. Just new, encouraging things that God showed me in his word. It's little, it's four chapters, 48 verses, you might have seen on Facebook, takes a whole whopping nine minutes to read from beginning to end. But it is full of life-changing substance. It will challenge our assumptions. It will expose our attitudes and our motivations. It will inform our theology. And it will propel us into a life that is full and transformational, a life without regret. I wanna encourage you to do some things along the way over the next, we're gonna do eight weeks. We've got Vision Sunday in the middle of those eight weeks, but um, I wanna encourage you to read this little book again and again 
and again. Like what if you just said, I'm gonna devote that whopping nine minutes every day to reading this letter. And then maybe put a little journal next to your Bible. And just as the Lord shows you things after reading it again and again and again, you just jot those down. And see what you have after eight weeks in this little book. The story begins with God calling. He just breaks in. Even the way this letter begins with the word now, it's kind of like you get dropped into this much bigger story. It's like we've been hearing over and over all this stuff, God's doing this, people doing that, all this stuff's going on in the world. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... That phrase, the word of the Lord, it's used over a hundred times in the Old Testament. Often with the prophets, but it's this grand announcement. It's a signal to the reader that something big's about to happen. God is going to speak. And so we ought to be listening. The word uh, came there, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah in the Hebrew, it has a pretty forceful tone to it. It's like an intrusion. God is literally breaking in to the room and he's saying, listen up, I've got something to say to you, says that to Jonah. And I wanna think for just a minute about the significance of communication from God. You see, we can get so complacent about the fact that we have a Bible that we're told is the very word of God. And I like I got 10 of them <laughs> sitting around the house. I don't know how often I read it, but got them all over the place. God's word reveals what God wants to be known about him and his ways. It's where we get that word revelation, right? Revealing. And so every time God speaks, he's revealing something. So when you open your Bible and you start reading, God is speaking. He's revealing something to you, whether you recognize it or not. You have the hardest heart in the world. That doesn't change the fact that God is literally revealing himself and his ways to you. We can go back to the beginning of the Bible. God's word was the means through which all things were created, right? Genesis 1 and 2. God spoke, it was so. God spoke, it was so. His word did exactly what he intended for it to do. God and his word are so closely associated to one another that Jesus is called the word in John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, that is Jesus, was in the beginning with God. He calls himself the word. When the word of the Lord comes to someone, it comes with purpose. 
see, it's a relational thing. It's not just a cognitive thing. It's like when God speaks, he's telling us he wants to be known. He wants relationship. That's why he's speaking. It's illuminating for all of us poor, flawed, frail, finite human beings. God gives wisdom when he speaks. And it's missional. When God speaks, he reveals his intentions that are directly related to his redemptive plan. His word is absolutely authoritative, incontestable. Isaiah 55, we studied that book recently. Here's what that prophet said, speaking the words of God. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Are we listening? Let's look a little bit at this prophet We're told he's the son of Amittai, which really doesn't tell us much of anything, except it connects this prophet with the same prophet that's mentioned in 2 Kings 14. We learn that this prophet served during the reign of King Jeroboam II. He was a northern king of uh, the northern 10 tribes of Israel, He was said to have done evil in the sight of the Lord. Imagine that job, working for that king as a prophet of God. (laughs) That's a rough assignment. Um, In the early uh, 8th century, so 790-ish to 750-ish, that would have been the season of Jonah's service, give or take. And he was contemporaries with Hosea and Amos, So some other prophets that uh, spoke to the northern kingdom. He's one of only four prophets that were specifically referenced by Christ during his ministry. Uh, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Jonah. And here's what Christ said about Jonah. This is out of uh, Luke 11. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, we're going to get more on this whole sign thing later in the series. So I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. Remember, we're slowing down. We're just kind of taking it as it comes but that is uh, Christ's reference to this prophet. And this, uh, this message this, that God brings to the, uh, to the prophet is really a new assignment for him. Like he's serving King Jeroboam right there in the Northern Kingdom, 
But God's got something else that he wants this prophet to do. So we'll go to verse two. But before we get there, I thought that this assignment reminded me of a series that was on television a few years ago called Dirty Jobs. How many of you seen that? Yeah, it's a great show. Um, Mike Rowe shows up at, at these job sites and he is just literally their assistant for the day. He does whatever they ask him to do and no job is too dirty, right? Doesn't matter if it's life-threatening or just nasty. He has to do it, right? And so we kind of follow him through that. But every episode begins this way. My name's Mike Rowe and this is my job. I explore the country looking for people who aren't afraid to get dirty. Hardworking men and women who earn an honest living doing the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. Now get ready to get dirty. I feel like God should have said that to Jonah <laughs> right before he made this uh, declaration here. But here it is, verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now notice, this isn't a, a suggestion. This is a command. God is the general, and this is, this is a soldier just waiting for his orders. There is a clear sense with that phrase arise and go there's a sense of urgency or immediacy it's literally Jonah get up right now and go to Nineveh and at first glance if we have read through our Old Testament and we've read a lot of the prophets this seems like a curious job for a prophet of Israel because typically don't we see them go to Israel Aren't they usually bringing a message to God's people like straighten up or God's coming and it isn't going to be pretty. Now, there are a few exceptions, Zephaniah and Nahum. Um, there's some other little examples, but, but this, is, this is kind of unique that God would take a prophet of Israel and send him to a Gentile nation. So he's told to go to Nineveh. And for a prophet of Israel, this is as dirty as the job gets, at least from his perspective. Nineveh is mentioned in the list of nations and cities in Genesis 10. It's founded by a guy named Nimrod. I love that name, Nimrod. Um, he's a direct descendant of Noah. So he, uh, he founded this city and the Assyrians kind of grew out of that. And so when we get into the ninth century or so, these are some fierce people. They are relentless, aggressive. Nahum called Nineveh the city of blood. He also noted that city for its cruelty in his uh, prophetic book. So this is a rough place. Gross idolatry was practiced throughout the city throughout the Assyrian Empire. Um, the religion of Assyria was Babylonian in origin, but they made up a god for themselves. His name was Asher. And the high priest of this god was none other than the king of Assyria. How convenient. Um, 
And these kings were not short on self-esteem. Let me read you a little quote from King Esarhaddon. I am powerful. I am all powerful. I am a hero. I am gigantic. I am colossal. I am honored. I am magnified. I am without equal among all kings, the chosen one of Asher, Nabu, and Marduk. He thinks pretty well of himself. Now, if that weren't enough, I mean, so this is a powerful, powerful nation. And they were hostile enemies of Israel and their God. Now, Jonah knows that, by the way. This is no mystery to him. Israel had been struggling through a long-standing division after King Solomon. You had the divided kingdom. So there, there's tension within that. And then all the while, uh, Assyria is growing in power, actually threatens Israel on several occasions. But then there's this shift where Assyria begins to drift. They have some infighting, so they start to decline and Israel actually starts to emerge. But as they are emerging in power, they are declining in morality in their spiritual life. Israel is gaining strength and confidence, but they are deteriorating spiritually. They're a corrupt nation, and we know that from the prophetic books of Hosea and Amos. Now, just think about this. What's the story of Hosea, the simple story? Like, go marry this woman who is going to repeatedly leave you and uh, commit adultery, and I just want you to keep taking her back, love her, like God loves an adulterous people. So that's actually a description not of Nineveh, but of Israel. That's why they needed prophets, but Nineveh needed prophets too. And that begs the question, why would God send his prophet to Assyria, the enemy of his people and the enemy of his? And what exactly was God commanding this prophet to do when he got there? There's this little phrase Call out against it. Call out against it. And that phrase is a warning with an opportunity to repent. That's the key. So wouldn't it have been great for Jonah just to go over to Nineveh and say, by the way, in 40 days you're going to get blown to smithereens. Good luck with that. i got to head back to Jerusalem. No, he knows what it means for him to call out against this city of Gentiles. It's the same thing that God had prophets do with Israel again and again and again. Read the book of Judges. The irony of how this story is unfolding is that Nineveh is really no dirtier than Israel. But they seem to think so. Jonah certainly seems to think so. I love how Tim Keller sort of summarizes this idea of God sending a prophet to Nineveh. Here's what he says. If God wants to smash Nineveh, he doesn't need a messenger. But if God wants to save Nineveh, he does. 
The only possible reason God would have to send a messenger to Nineveh is he wants to give Nineveh a chance. He wants to save Nineveh. He wants to have mercy on Nineveh. He wants to help Nineveh. He wants to turn them from their violence, that evil that had come up before him. Now, that, that didn't mean that God was just sort of like, whoa, look at Nineveh. What the heck? What are they doing over there? Right? He's seen it all along, but something in God and his heart has moved him to initiate with this people. And because he's not simply just going to destroy them, he's going to send a messenger, a prophet, with a glimmer of hope for these people. Now, Jonah is a prophet and calling out stuff and announcing ominous oracles of judgment, like that's what prophets do. He just doesn't want to do it in Nineveh because he knows the effect it might have. Instead, Jonah does the unthinkable. He gets his assignment, his marching orders, and let's just call it desertion and descent. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the Lord. Let me show you a map just so you can get a visual for what's happening here. You've got the Mediterranean Sea right in the middle and that little gold uh, star there, that's right around Israel, Jerusalem. That, so that's where uh, Jonah starts. He's told to go up to the green circle. That's Nineveh. That's where he's told to take his message. And then where X marks the spot is the most likely location for Tarshish. It's actually Spain. Now, nobody knows that. Nobody knows where Tarshish actually is, but that's the best option of all the possibilities. Notice, that is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. How about that? That gives you an idea of what Jonah thought about his assignment. Now, at this point, we don't know why. And what we're going to do is we're going to hold ourselves back from going down that road. We're just covering three verses this morning. And I want you to live with the tension of a prophet of God who was set apart, selected, chosen, entrusted with a life-changing message told to take that message to a people who desperately need it. And he goes the other way. Like we ought to just be dumbfounded. What prophet does that? Why do we do that? You know, all the things that were true of prophets, those were true of Israel. They're, they're called a treasured possession. A holy nation, a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Don't they usher people into the presence of God? Don't they act as mediators between a holy God and a sinful people? 
That was said of all of Israel, so certainly it's true of a prophet. And you know what? The very same thing is said of us as God's church. We're a treasured possession. We're a holy nation. We are a kingdom of priests. And we have been commissioned. God said, arise and go. And yet, if we're honest, how often do we literally turn the other way? Now listen, I've been dealing with this all week, so I'm just sharing with you guys so we can all share in this together. This is not a message of condemnation. This is like waking up from a drunken stupor and just going, oh yeah. Like I remember when I got that message and I remember what God did in my heart in my life. And the moment that you and I got that message, we became messengers. We didn't have to have any technique or skill or sharpness or any of that. We just got a message. And we get to tell that message everywhere we go. And all around us, there are far more people who either have never heard it or just dismissed it than there are who have truly received it. Jonah had immense privileges as a prophet, but he didn't want this assignment. So he deserted. He left his post. And that led to a descent. And and this is a good Bible study methods kind of thing here. Notice the word down used twice here. It's going to be used again as we get further off into the book. That's no mistake. This desertion is leading to a descent down to Joppa, down into the ship, and it's going to continue. And all of that is the product of his desire to go away from the presence of the Lord. Now, lest we think that that's some kind of rookie mistake, like, oh, that prophet just didn't get the omnipresence of God. (laughs) I think he understood that. I mean, countless times, Psalm 139, he must have heard these words, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? I I think Jonah knew that verse. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. There's nowhere to go, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So what does that mean for him to flee the presence of the Lord? As best I can tell, he associates the presence of God with the intentions of God. So basically, what he, he knows God's intentions and he wants to get as far away from that, at least the place where he thinks God's gonna do his thing, which is in Nineveh. He just wants to get as far away from that place as he can, therefore fleeing the presence of the Lord. And there's no indication he has any intention of coming back. He is making a permanent move 
to Spain. Now, this is one of the places in this book, there'll be others as we make our way through it, that Jonah serves as a mirror for us. So we look at him and hopefully we notice some things about ourselves. Again, without condemnation, hopefully with awakening, with illumination, with understanding. I read Psalm 52, seven, just in my personal devotional time this last week, and it was amazing. The timing couldn't have been better. So I've been reading about Jonah, this wayward prophet who rejects God and goes his own way. And here's Psalm 52, seven. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. By the way, Jonah, did you catch that he paid his fare? to get on that boat, to run from God. Trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his destruction. Sought refuge in his destruction. So if you and I go our own way, if we decide to do our own thing, that way never, ever leads to life. But you know what? When life gets hard and things get confusing and we don't like what's happening and it's not happening the way we'd like, all that kind of stuff, we can justify anything, right? We can actually make Spain sound like a great idea. But the very best place for Jonah to be was Nineveh. As evil and as ugly and as cruel as that place was, that was the very best place on earth for for Jonah to be because God sent him there. And that meant that God would go ahead of him and be with him every step of the way. So the question I have to ask myself is, where do I go? to escape the presence of the Lord. Not his literal presence, but where do I go to get away from his intentions, his activity, the work that I know he really wants to do? How do I slip out of that? How do you slip out of that? Where do you go? Even if it's just for momentary escape. I don't miss that. Wherever that place is, I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to do the same thing. Let's think about it this week. Let's, let's give that some prayerful thought. And then here's a phrase that I want you to hear over and over and over again as we go through this book. Pastor said this. The book of Jonah begins and ends with God's love for people who don't love God. The book of Jonah begins and ends with God's love for people who don't love God. So even when you and I are hopping on a ship to Spain, God loves us and he will do whatever it takes 
to bring us back. It's interesting, just in these first three verses, we can, I think, safely assume that God loves the Ninevites, God loves Jonah, and God loves Israel. And that is why he came to speak. And then as believers in this book, as followers of Christ, we can believe that God loves us as well. And what a privileged people we are to have him speak. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to, uh, you know, what, what is somewhat of an introduction. I hope it's piqued your interest a little bit. I hope you'll be thinking about this little book for the next several weeks, reading it, processing it, internalizing it again and again. But I want to give you a few moments now to uh, respond in worship. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper as part of our worship. And uh, you know what's beautiful about this meal is uh, it's a message of sorts. It's God speaking. Um, Jesus instituted this ordinance, this part of worship to remind us of God's love for us. Now, this morning, you may be here and you're kind of figuring church out or figuring out Christianity or whatever. Like, you might fall into the Ninevite category. Like, you're not a believer and this message is just coming to you. And we would say, this meal is for those who have received the love of God. But if you haven't, this is an invitation to receive the love of God that he loves you and he wants to forgive you of your sin and bring you into a relationship with him. So this morning is a great invitation for you to, to make that right with the Lord. For the rest of us, if you're a believer, you know what? You may be a prophet on his best day and you may be a prophet on his worst day. Both of you are invited to the table. And this is the meal to remind you that your acceptability before God is not based upon your performance. It's based upon the performance of the prophet who when he was told by the Father to arise and go, he did. He came here and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He shed his own blood. His body was broken so that we could be forgiven. That's what this meal is about. I want to invite you to come to this table. Thank the Lord for his good work on your behalf for this gracious message that he, came, that he brought to you in person, in the person of Christ. And then let that be a springboard into a life of obedience as you go into this next week.